Welcome to the City Hills Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that the message today helped you encounter God, love people, and discover purpose. For more information about who we are as a church, head over to cityhillschurchsd.com. If you would like to partner with us financially, click the Give button at the top of the homepage on our website. And now, let's jump right into the message. Well, welcome to our new series called One Nation Under God. And let's be real, some of the things that we're going to talk about over the next couple weeks, for some of you, it may get you fired up. For some of you, it may feel a little controversial. But the reality is with the election of our president coming up, there's some important truths that you and I need to talk about as a church, things we need to talk about as followers of Jesus, because Unfortunately, our nation has really embraced this idea of us versus them. It's whoever the us is and whoever the them is on your side, whether it's conservative or liberal, whether it's Republican or Democratic or whether it's woke or nostalgic, whatever it is, we've embraced this idea of it's us versus them. And it's led to some really damaging aspects of our life. For some of you, you may ask why Why are we doing this series? Like, I'm so done with politics. I have to see it on news. I have to hear it at work. I have to hear it at every family event that I go to. My sports are just drowning in political messaging. And now at church, we have to talk about it. Like, what are we doing? Can we not just keep these things separate? Can I have not one place away from this? And listen, leading up to the last couple of years, I would have totally agreed with you. The majority of my ministry, I would have I would have totally agreed and said, listen, let's just just let it lie. I mean, people will figure it out. It, it'll be OK. Let's not let's not just, you know, stir up that beehive. Let's just leave it alone. But I feel like over the, the last couple of years, the Lord has really been dealing with my heart about this. And I feel like I feel like we have a responsibility as a church to be able to share with you what the Bible says about some of this, what what we see in the example of Jesus. Because believe it or not, the Bible has a fair amount of information about how we handle these seasons, how we navigate just the controversies that we're walking through. And what you may not realize is that the majority of the New Testament is written while the early church was not under necessarily persecution the entire time, but they were under Roman rule. They weren't just dealing with Jewish leaders. They were dealing with Jewish leaders. They were dealing with the Roman leaders, the Roman government. Rome was going all over the place, conquering the world during the New Testament. And so they were dealing with a lot of the things that you and I face, including persecution and and feeling like the minorities trying to speak into this machine of a country, machine of a nation that's going on. And so we feel a responsibility to communicate what is going on in the Bible and, and what we're encouraged to do with this. I happen to believe that the church wins or loses based on how we behave between now and the election. Honestly, it's even after the election that the church wins or loses based on how we navigate these seasons, because if we navigate them poorly, it looks very, very bad 
not just on us as believers, but it looks bad on Jesus. It looks bad on his church. It looks bad on his bride. We misrepresent him. And so it's so important for us to have some of these conversations. We have a unique opportunity to show faith, hope, and love. We, we have a responsibility to push past the fear that's sold in politics. On all sides, we're, we're told that the opposite party is going to lead to the ultimate demise of our family, the demise of our country, the demise of the world. And it's so heavy and it's so fear based and it's so because they understand that fear drives us. It moves us. But as followers of Jesus, we have to look at our ultimate example in Jesus and see how he navigated these seasons and, and understand the impact that we can have as a church, as followers of Jesus, if we handle this season correctly. Jesus taught a really basic truth. We can disagree politically and still love unconditionally. We can disagree. Jesus was known as a not more than just the savior of the world. Jesus was mo, mo, known more than just the Messiah. Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. Not a hater of sinners, not an antagonizer of sinners. Jesus sat at tables. Jesus went to their parties. Jesus spent time with them around tables and he shared his life and they shared their life with him. And it was this beautiful picture of Jesus going, hey, you live a polar opposite life than I do. But you know what? I want to be a part of your life. I want to be an influence in your life. I want to make an impact in your life. And I wonder what would it look like in our lives if we actually did that. If if somewhere along the way we stop believing the lie that in order for me to love you, I have to agree with everything you do. Somewhere along the line, we feel like in order for us to have this relationship, in order for me to truly love you, we've got to be on the same page. And Jesus would go, no, no, it's the polar opposite. I'd encourage you to love your enemy. I would encourage you to be a part of their life. I would encourage you to to go out of your way to spend time with the people who are different than you, who come from different backgrounds, who have different beliefs, who, who live their lives differently because we have a responsibility to share the love and the message of Jesus. You see, we are never called to agree with the culture, but we are called to love every single person in it. We don't have to agree with everything. We don't have to agree with how they vote. We don't have to agree with what they believe. We don't have to agree with their lifestyle, but we are called to love them. And the only way that we can love them is not when we hide behind our walls and we throw things across to them, We love them when we pull down the walls and we share and we do life with them. As we get into this conversation, whether or not you believe we were founded as a Christian nation or or whether you believe that we are just a nation formed for for all religious freedoms, however you, you fall in that conversation, the reality is that America, unfortunately, is no longer a Christian nation. And some of you hear that and you push back and you're like, whoa, 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 that's not true. We, we are no longer a Christian nation. The reality is that we are a post-Christian nation. Why, why would I say that? Because you can look at all the information that you want to. 
and see that the church and Christianity has been declining in America. The numbers around the world may be growing, but in America, church attendance has been plummeting for decades. Christian beliefs and and Christian systems have been going further and further down as far as their impact in the world. We have to understand that there are generations of young adults, of teenagers, of kids who have never been to a church and who have no idea who Jesus is. This isn't just some statistic that's in a book somewhere. We've experienced this personally here in our time in San Diego. I can't tell you how many people we've met and they say, oh, what do you do? And we say, oh, we're a pastor of a church. And like, oh, well, what's that about? What's that like? I've never been to church in my life. I, I don't know anything about that. I've never been religious is what we hear a lot. The reason why City Hills Church exists is because 94% of our county, just our county, 94% of them do not have a church that they call home. That means between 6%, and if you want to be generous, 10%, 6 and 10% of our county has a relationship with a church, with a religion. That's, that's counting all the religions. That's counting all the churches. And I know you may see these giant churches all over the place and think, well, that can't be true. There's a lot of people in our county. We're dealing with a, a city, a nation that is post-Christ. There are so many people around us who don't know who Jesus is. If that's not post-Christian, I don't know what is. But while that may seem depressing or maybe infuriating or you may push back heavy on that, I view that as an incredible opportunity. An opportunity for us as followers of Jesus to be able to connect people with the love and the hope of a relationship with Jesus. I feel like as Christians, as the church, we're just like that early church that we're in, not necessarily a foreign nation, but we're in a nation that may be opposed to our beliefs, that may be opposed to, and they don't understand why we do the things that we do. And we have an opportunity to share that with them. I I love getting to talk about this because it's important for us to understand that we are ambassadors of Jesus. We have the message of hope, of healing, and love. It reminds us, it reminds me that I have a purpose so much greater than my own life because I get to share the message of Jesus with a world who doesn't even know who he is. To help us out in this journey over the next couple of weeks, I actually want us to use the Pledge of Allegiance. We're going to use some of the words and and recognize how powerful that pledge actually is for our nation and and the challenge that it represents for us as followers of Jesus. We'll also look at the words of the Apostle Peter and see how he communicated to this group of of believers who were in uh, just an oppressive area of the world and and how he encouraged them. So we're, we're going to take a look at both of those things But to start us off, I want to get you back into your like kindergarten, first grade days where you were sleepy in the morning and the teacher says, "Okay, it's time for our pledge. And you got to get out of your chairs and you're rubbing your eyes and you're okay. here we go. Put your hand on our hearts and we say the pledge. So I want to bring you back to those days. Let's let's say our pledge together. 
I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That pledge is going to kind of be a roadmap for us. And this week, I want to talk to you about that idea of one nation. Next week, we'll talk about under God, and then we'll talk about what it means to be indivisible, and then we'll talk about liberty and justice for all. But thinking about one nation, as we jump into this, I I just want to make it abundantly clear. I love our nation. I love being an American. I love what, what our country is and what it represents. I have the utmost respect for our troops. Now getting to live life and do life with them, to see the sacrifices that they make every day, every month, every year, the, the, just all that they do, all that you guys do for our freedom. I have more respect. You deserve more honor and respect than you're ever given. With that said, as much as I believe that our country gets it right more times than it gets it wrong, as while I believe that our country is it's probably the best country in the world, it's definitely up there at the top. The reality is we can all agree that our country is not perfect. But the truth is it never was supposed to be. It was it was this messy rebellion for us to have freedoms. And, and with that freedom, it, it, we're going to mess it up. The truth is, as long as there are people involved, there's going to be imperfect situations that happen because we're we're flawed people. Every business, every family, every government. It, it's going to have these moments of imperfection because we're just not built to be perfect. The truth is we cannot expect perfect. We have to pursue progress. If you're looking for the perfect political candidate, if you're looking for the perfect legislation, if you're looking for everything to line up perfectly, if, you're, if your hope is that Washington, D.C. is going to be the hero and the rescue of your life, you're, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed because we're, we're depending on flawed people and flawed systems and people who created flawed systems with good intentions and it didn't work out right. We're, that can't be the source of our hope in the world. But more importantly, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, we have to understand that we're a part of something even bigger, a nation that's bigger than America. We're called the children of God. We're a part of something that's even greater. It's more significant. It has more lasting impact than our nation does. We're going to look at the words of First Peter chapter 2, as you, you turn in your Bibles there, you pull it up on your phone. We're going to be looking at his words and, and recognize the importance of us seeing what nation we're actually a part of. And for a little bit of context, this, this passage of scripture is written, it's a letter written by Peter, the Apostle Peter, the same one that, that walked with Jesus. And he's writing this letter to persecuted Christians in the Asia Minor re- region. It's, it's an area near modern day Turkey. 
And he's writing to them because he understands that they're facing persecution. They're the minority in this country trying to spread the love and the message of Jesus. And they were hated. They were persecuted. They were viewed as outsiders. They, they were viewed as these people with these crazy belief systems. Like, why would you ever do that? And they felt the pressure of culture. They felt the pressure of everything around them telling them to give up on this thing that they were trying so desperately to hold on to. Doesn't that sound familiar to us as Christians today? Let's pick it up. First Peter chapter two, starting in verse nine. But you are God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light. And now he claims you as his very own. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. Don't miss that. He did this so that you would broadcast whose glory? His glorious wonders throughout the world. For at one time you were not God's people, but now you are. At one time you knew nothing of God's mercy because you hadn't received it yet. But now you are drenched with it. The first thing that I want you to realize as we look at this passage of scripture is that you have to recognize who you represent. When you become a follower of Jesus, you no longer just represent yourself. You no longer just represent your political affiliations. You no longer represent your moral compasses. You no longer just represent you. You've picked up and you've begun to carry the name of Jesus, that that name is plastered across your chest. And you have to understand, and I have to understand that in every conversation, in every moment, in every political conversation, in every family argument, in every marriage situation, in every workplace, in every grocery store you walk into, we are not just carrying our namesake, we're carrying Jesus's. For some of you, when you think about that, it, it's challenging. Would, would you really want people to associate Jesus with the way that you handle your politics? Would you really want people to associate Jesus with the way you communicate people who differ from you on social media? Would you really want people to associate Jesus with the way that you handle yourself when you're just thinking about your views and your issues? As much as we would like to think those things are separate, they're not. They're not separate things. When we take on the name of Jesus, it's something that we carry everywhere we go. And you know what this is like. You remember being a teenager and before you left the house to go hang out with friends, your mom or your dad or your, your grandparents would communicate to you, hey, hey, don't forget who you are for. Don't forget your last name. Don't forget, I have people out there who know who you are. They know you belong to me. Don't forget who you represent. We've been there. We understand that. But I think sometimes we forget that that's what we're doing with Jesus. That as beautiful as it is that Jesus is with us, that God is with us, and we love that idea when we're walking through tough situations, I don't think we always realize that that always means always. It means in that conversation when you're hurling insults. I've seen it so many times on social media 
where where people will just blast somebody and right underneath it they'll go how how do you call yourself a Christian? Like your profile says you're a follower of Jesus and you love God and you love every people. But uh, what you just said, how many times have we seen that? Where we forget that we're representing Jesus. God claims us as his own so that we can what? So that we can broadcast his glorious name throughout the world. We have to understand that God chose us, that God called us. God has invited us into a a relationship where we represent him. And so many times we're more connected and more affiliated with our political beliefs and our political party and our moral compasses and what we feel like is right. And we're so aligned with that that we forget that in our approach we don't realize what we're doing. We don't recognize who we're actually representing. That's uncomfortable. So let's move on. First Peter 2, continuing on in verse 11. My divinely loved friends, since you are resident aliens and foreigners in this world, I appeal to you. I love how you said that, like because you're now a follower of Jesus, you're foreigners in this world. He says, I appeal to you to divorce yourself from the evil desires that wage war within you. Live honorable lives as you mix with unbelievers, even though they accuse you of being evildoers. Even though they say you're wrong, I want you to show honor for they will see your beautiful works and have a reason to glorify God in the day he visits us. In order to honor the Lord, you must respect and defer to the authority of every human institution, whether it be the highest ruler or the governors he's put in place to punish lawbreakers, to praise those who do what's right. That's uncomfortable as we walk through this season to hear those words, but this is the Bible. For it is God's will for you to silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing what is right. Peter would challenge us. And he would say that our response should be to honor even when we disagree. To show honor. This word honor in the Bible, it's derived from this word that means heavy, to mean weighty. Honor, it means to put weight on who a person is. That they carry significance. They carry weight. We cannot forget that the the apostles are writing this in a time where they're under rule from, from foreign governments and governments that believe totally opposite of them. And Peter is saying, hey, I know this is uncomfortable, but I want you to show honor to those who believe different from you. You see, this is, wasn't, wasn't the first time in the Bible that we see this. It's not the first time that we come face to face with someone choosing honor when they come face to face with their enemy. When you look at the Old Testament and you find the life of David, we see him doing the same exact thing. David was at the time before he was king, he was working with the first king of Israel with King Saul. And he's working with them and and they had this relationship and all of a sudden it, it went sour. And this man who, who David considered a friend, this man who King Saul's son was his best friend on the planet, this man who he had done life with and had left his family to be a part of his kingdom was now trying to kill him. 
And so David is on the run with his little band of mighty men, and they're, they're running away from King Saul, trying to survive. And they go and they hide in this cave. And at one point, King Saul comes by, and he comes to the front of the cave. And, and the Bible doesn't give us exactly what he was doing, whether he was using the restroom or whether he was resting or whether he was just uh, taking a nap. But whatever happened, he's at the front of the mouth of this cave. And David and his men see him there. And his men say, David, this is your moment. The Lord has given the king into your hands. You can kill him. You can take the kingdom. This is your moment. You need to take it. I know he's the king, but this is your moment. He's trying to kill you by all means. Like, seriously, it's your turn. You have your opportunity. And David, instead of killing Saul, he, he sneaks to the front and he cuts off a corner of his robe and he sneaks to the back. And eventually when, when Saul is doing whatever he was doing, he leaves the cave and David starts to feel guilty. And he comes out and, and he begins to yell at him and listen to what he says in 1 Samuel 24, starting in verse 8. David came out and shouted after him, my Lord, the king. And when Saul turned around, David bowed low before him. He shouted to Saul, why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you see with your own eyes it isn't true, for the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. And some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you, for I said I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. The challenge for us, and I want you to really wrestle with this. What would it look like for you to honor your enemy? What would it look like for you to honor the person who votes and believes completely different than you do? Because what I see happening with, within the church is that we are just so focused on our own agenda that we don't even care what we're doing to the person on the other side. And I wonder if Jesus is challenging us in this season and he's saying, hey, have you taken time to hear their story? Have you taken time to understand why they vote the way that they vote? Why they, they believe in that law, like the way that they believe in it? Do, do, you, do you even know anything about them? Are you just hurling general insults in their way because of the hashtag that they put on their post or, or because of the way that they vote or because of the shirts that they wear. Have you taken time to actually get to know them? Jesus would challenge us. How would you honor your enemy? How would you honor that person who lives a life different than you, that votes different than you, that thinks different than you, that, that has a completely different lifestyle? How can you honor them? Do, you, do we honestly believe that hurling insults in our tirades of, of how right we are is actually going to change someone's life? Like, did you watch the debates this week? It was just pure and utter childishness of people just hurling insults and, and hurling generalities and, and just this constant barrage of words and nothing happened. But it's a perfect picture of us as a people, as Americans, and unfortunately as us as a church. That we're just hurling insults 
and trying to prove how right we are. And the challenge for us is we have to ask ourselves if we're trying to win the argument or we're trying to make an impact. Are you trying to make a difference in someone's life? Are you just trying to win the fight? Are you just trying to win the argument? You see, honor and humility leads to impact in our lives, not insults. I think we're, we're missing the boat because we just we, we think that if we can win this argument, then all of a sudden things will be different. It doesn't. When has someone insulting you caused you to go, you know what? I think I love you a little bit more now. You're totally right. Please throw some more insults my way. Please show me how wrong and how dumb and how idiotic I am. Please do that. Like that, that makes me really get on board with what you're saying. And I just wonder if Jesus is challenging us to remember the word honor. To put weight on the name of the person who disagrees with us. To put weight and honor on the person, even if they don't deserve it. To honor our enemy. What did Jesus say? You, you've, you've heard it before that you should hate your enemy and love your friend. No, no, no. I would say to love your enemy, to pray for them. Well, you can't love somebody that you have nothing to do with. How can you honor your enemy? We're going to move on. First Peter 2, this last passage, starting in verse 16. As God's loving servants, I love how that's highlighted, God's loving servants, you should live in complete freedom, but never use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Ooh, that'll preach. Just because you found freedom in Jesus doesn't mean that you use that newfound freedom to use it as a cover up for sin, to cover up for your hate. Well, I'm just trying to preach what's right. No, you're, you're being hateful. And Jesus would call that a sin. Don't use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Leave it alone. Verse 17, recognize the value of every person and continually show love to every believer. Live your lives with great reverence and in holy awe of God. And P.S., honor your rulers. This is what he put here. The last thing that we're looking at is that freedom is found in living like Jesus. True freedom is found in living like Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus valued every person regardless of their current sin or their past reputation. Jesus valued every person because he understood that they represent someone that God loves. He understood that he was going to die on the cross for that person. That person who's still living in sin. That person who has a broken mindset. That person who's still navigating the sins and the pain of their past. That person had value to Jesus. Do they have value to us? Jesus understood and he showed love to those who didn't deserve it. Do we just show love to people who agree with our political stance? Those who fight for America? Or do we show love to people even when we don't feel like they deserve it? Jesus lived recognizing who he belonged to. 
He recognized that he was representing his heavenly father. If we want to find spiritual freedom, we have to go to the source of freedom. We have to understand that we're not just fighting for our freedom of religion. We're not just fighting for our freedom of speech. We're not just fighting for our freedom of guns. We're not fighting for our freedom of of freedom to do whatever we want with our bodies. We're not fighting just for the freedom of our moral beliefs and our party affiliations. We are fighting for the freedom of people's soul from an eternal separation from God. Guys, as followers of Jesus, The freedom that we have to fight for more than anything is people being freed from an eternal separation from God. Listen, if if we're not concerned about that, if we're not concerned about people finding salvation in Jesus, then why are we followers of Jesus? It's the whole point. It's the whole purpose. I had to stop following some pastors that I really liked because their whole agenda over the last six months has been nothing but politics. And I didn't hear an ounce of Jesus. And I had to go, hey, okay, pause, time out. You're getting me frustrated because I get that you're frustrated about this moment in history. But man, we've got to promote Jesus more than our political beliefs. We're representing a nation that's more than our party affiliations. We're representing a nation that's greater than America. We're representing the nation and the people and the children of God. And we have got to get to a place within ourselves where we check our motives and say, hey, God, am I fighting for freedom for people, for spiritual freedom, for hope for their eternity? Or am I just fighting for my own agenda? regardless of how right it may be. You see, when we fight for our agendas, when we fight for our beliefs, when we stand up and we're, we're aggressive and we're abrasive and we're over the top with that, do you understand that you're pushing people away, not just from you, but you're pushing them away from Jesus? Well, well no, I'm standing up for what's right. No, there's a difference between standing up for what's right and insulting and berating someone because you feel like they're wrong. We have to understand that we're representing Jesus. We represent Jesus first. That's the nation. As we wrap up today, I wanna challenge you that we have to find value in the people who are sitting on the other side of this conversation from us. We have to recognize who we represent. It's more than our beliefs. It's more than our church. It's more than our voting. It's more than America. It's more than Republican or Democratic. It's more than that we represent Jesus. And if that isn't our focus and that isn't our drive and our overarching purpose is to help people find Jesus, if that's not what is driving your conversations, then we have to check our hearts. Even if you believe you're 100% right in your morals, we have to check our hearts. Because Jesus did battle with who? With the religious people who thought they were so right. And he said, your hearts are dirty and broken and they have no place in the kingdom of God. We have to check our hearts 
and make sure that our hearts are breaking for people who are far from Jesus, that we want them to be a part of that nation, the nation who calls Jesus Christ our Savior, more than we want them to be on the same side as us politically. I told you today was going to be challenging. I told you it would be controversial. I just want us to understand that we represent Jesus in this trying, in this chaotic season that we're walking through. And if we hold on to that above all else, I believe the Lord would do exactly what he needs to do in the heart of people who may be on the other side of the conversation from you. We have a responsibility to try to connect people with Jesus. So let's do that. Next week, we'll talk about the idea of being under God and what that actually means as we reflect on the Pledge of Allegiance. But let's pray today as we close out. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this challenging message that you gave to me, this challenge for me to to check my heart, to check my motives, to check and, and, and remember who I'm actually representing. Am I just trying to represent Danny? Am I just trying to represent my beliefs? Am I just trying to represent my agendas? Or Jesus, am I trying to represent you? Lord, I pray that as we go through this week, as you give us the opportunity to have conversations with people, help us to rely on what we heard today, to show honor, to show respect, to show love, to be able to communicate our viewpoints. Nothing wrong with that, but to do it in a way that helps to connect people with you. Jesus, guard our tongues, guard our minds, guard our, our hearts, and unite us again with the message and the prayer that you had for your church. We love you and we thank you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed the message today. We would love to be able to partner with you on your faith journey. Regardless of where you're at or what you're walking through, know that your friends at City Hills Church are here for you. If you would like for us to pray for you, click the contact button on the top of the homepage and share your request with us. Our prayer team will keep you and your family in prayer every week. We hope you have an incredible day and that you discover a little more purpose throughout your week. We look forward to seeing you soon.